want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. Matthew, chapter 18, as we continue our series on the stories, the parables that Jesus told. If you would, let us stand together in deference to God's Word. And will you pray this prayer with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. Beginning here with uh, Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went back and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. In response to Peter's question, Jesus responds that we should forgive one another 77 times. That's according to the New International Version. The New American Standard Version, if you grew up with the King James, Jesus was saying there 70 times 7, or as many as 490 times. Whatever the translation, it's a pretty absurd number. And of course, Jesus wasn't calling us to get out our calculators or, or get out our ledger books and keep account until we get to 77 or 490. What he was saying is that forgiveness ought to be a very part of the nature of being a follower of him. Now, I imagine, as I thought about this message, there are 490 different ways to be hurt, at least. A husband is unfaithful to his wife, or a wife just deserts her husband. A drunk driver 
kills an innocent child. Your daughter is raped and emotionally scarred for life. Your employer lies to you about a promotion. A romance goes too far, too fast, and two people blame each other for life. An elderly parent spews bitter words at a daughter accusing her of neglect, and those words replay again and again in your memory. Someone at church is gossiping about you, and they have no idea what is really going on. The truth is, it's rather easy to get to a point where we just harbor that, where we hang on to it, and and it becomes just a part of our life. And, And maybe this morning, if you were honest, you really need to hear this message. Maybe you need to hear this message because it's, it's very easy to just kind of say, well, that's for someone else, Pastor. You see, some of life's most significant lessons are learned in the school of pain and suffering, and I don't think that that's any more true than when it comes to the truth about forgiveness. The reality is, in order to learn this lesson, you have to go through the suffering of having been offended or maybe being the offender. And so Simon Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone? Seven times? Peter wants to know, how, does, how far does forgiveness go? How many times and how much are you going to have to forgive another person before you really just lose all sense of dignity? And by the way, Simon, I think, probably thought he was being rather magnanimous. The Jewish rabbis, as I understood it, taught that you only needed to forgive three times, but once you hit number four, forget it. But Simon doubles that and adds one for good measure. But forgiveness, that's hard. It's it's a problem for us for a couple of reasons, I think. One is we we kind of really misunderstand what forgiveness is. To some, I think, People think that forgiveness is pretending. Listen, forgiveness is not pretending. We, we, we pretend everything's okay, and we smile, and we go on with the relationship, but underneath, there's this foment of hostility. Somebody apologizes to us, and we pretend and say, oh, it, it's not really a big deal. You, you really didn't hurt me. By doing that, what we're really saying is, I don't love you enough for you to hurt me. You're not important enough for me to be wounded when that's really not true. Forgiveness is not just covering up our pain and acting as if nothing happened. It's not pretending we didn't hurt. For some people, forgiveness is forgetting. It's not forgetting. That's unrealistic. You hear people say, well, just forgive and forget. Now, that sounds nice, but it's not honest. Years ago, I preached a message on the forgetfulness of God. What an amazingly interesting truth that our God forgets. But God has the ability to forget our sins. But you know, we don't have that capacity. And those wounds can stay with us in our memory banks for years and years. In fact, sometimes you have to forgive 490 times for the same single offense. Do you know what I mean? You forgive, and then you remember. And you have to forgive again 
and again and again. So forgiveness is not pretending, and it is not forgetting. So let's face it, forgiveness can be hard. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I was just talking to Phil this morning, uh, and he was telling me that his brother was murdered in Las Vegas, and he had to give uh, a statement at the trial, and he f told the family and the perpetrator, I forgive you. That could not have been easy. It doesn't take a weak person to forgive. It takes someone who's strong. It's demanding, and it requires unselfishness and goes against our very nature. In fact, the word forgive ends with the word give, and that's the rub. We have to give up our pride. We have to give up our sense of justice. We have to give up our right to retaliate. Forgiveness means I'll pay the price. I'll absorb the hurt, and I won't hurt back. We understand this because that's what Jesus did on the cross. That's hard, that's rare, and that's Christ-like. Truth is, forgiveness requires free, uh, true wisdom. You know, there are a, a few situations that are exactly alike, and it takes discernment. When you're faced with a difficult situation, how do exactly should I, how should I exactly respond? There are times when an offense should just be ignored, and sometimes when it needs to be confronted. Sometimes it needs to be confronted early, and sometimes you have to discern, well, maybe I just ought to wait until tempers calm down. We, we need wisdom from God to know how to navigate those situations. What I think you'll find is, is that what we are able to do when we, when we truly want to live this out is we need some help. In fact, I need some help from, from God's Spirit to help me discern. So how many times should I forgive someone? Well, Jesus responds here with a parable about the unmerciful servant. He says a servant owed the king, and, and, and I'm old school, it was 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. Now, however much this was, it is something akin to, to thinking about our national debt. You know, $33 trillion is what we owe as a country. It's unimaginable for any one person to consider. Jesus was making the point, this man owes a huge, incalculable debt that he has no hope of repaying. Jesus begins by alluding then to the incredible debt each of us owe. Now, some of us really do not understand our own debt. There is someone in this room this morning thinking, you know, I'm a pretty decent guy. I know there are some real duds in this room, but I'm still with my wife. I love my kids. I pay my taxes. I go to work. I earn an honest living. I'm okay. And the reality is we have no idea how much debt we owe because of our sin. Psalm 130, the psalmist reports, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. 
In other words, if God kept a record, if there was a great computer log in heaven of every detail of our lives in which we strayed from his ways, which one of us could stand before him? The psalmist says, no one, no one. But there is with God forgiveness, and of course that comes through Jesus Christ. We are all debtors. I had a dream some time back. I was I was standing before God and it was judgment day and he gave me a piece of chalk and he said, Jeff, I, I want you to write all your sins on this blackboard beginning at the bottom and you work your way up. So I began to, to list those sins and I began to, to realize this is taller than I am and I looked over and there was a ladder along the, the blackboard and I started climbing up and writing some of my sins when all of a sudden I'm about done and somebody steps on my fingers coming down and I, I looked up and there was Pastor Rich coming down the ladder. I said, Rich, what are you doing all the way up there? He said, I'm coming down for some more chalk. Some of us probably have a longer list than others. That's probably true. But the Bible teaches, if all of us would give an account, <laughs> I'm in trouble. I can't repay. And when the king demanded repayment, the servant begged, be patient with me, and I'll pay you back, he said. There's never been a more ridiculous statement. There's no possible way we could ever pay this debt back he couldn't pay the interest you know one characteristic of a spiritually dead person or a shallow person is this idea of self-reliance there are people who say you know I, I think I'm okay with God I've heard this so many times you know I, I've made some mistakes sure but but I've done a lot of good things too and I the way I figured, I'm about even. Maybe even a little on the plus side. And they think that they can pay their own debt. The truth is, one way that you know a person is spiritually alive is they continue to develop awareness of their own sinfulness. Reality is, the closer a person walks with God, the more aware they are of their own sin. You ever notice that, for instance, Job? Job was declared righteous, upright by the Lord, but when he prayed to God, he said, Oh God, I am vile. Ezra, the godly scribe, prayed, I am too ashamed and disgraced, my God, to lift up my face because our sins are higher than our heads and our guilt has reached to the heavens. Isaiah the prophet in the temple sees the Lord high and lifted up and he says, oh God, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. When Peter saw the full power of Jesus demonstrated, Peter says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a wicked man. The Apostle Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. 
You see, if I had all the riches in the world to my name, it wouldn't be enough to buy one splinter of the tree that Jesus died on. And the closer you get to God, the more you're aware of this awesome debt of sin that you owe, and you discover then, he paid it in full for me. Jesus tells us that this king took pity on the servant and completely cancels the debt, letting it go. The debt was free, it was clear. He could walk out of there a free man. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's good news. That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So this servant is free. He leaves this room ecstatic. This huge debt has been hanging over him, is suddenly gone, and the king has paid for it himself. But look at what happens. No sooner does he get outside of that palace, he encounters another servant who owes him, the Bible says, a hundred denarii. Now, the NIV, again, I think they're playing fast and loose here. It, it doesn't say a hundred silver coins. It says a hundred denarii. Uh, a denarius amounted to about a, a one day's worth of wages for a servant. Today, that amount for a poverty area would be about $2.50. He's owed about $250. Nothing compared to what he's just been forgiven. In fact, we expect him to do what? Well, just, just forget it. Forgive the debt. But to our surprise, he begins to demand from this servant his money back. The one who owes $250 does the th same thing that this man had done. He begs for some more time. But the man refuses and has him thrown into prison, he and his family. When the news filters back to the king, he's outraged. How could this man be so ungrateful? And the king then ends up throwing the unmerciful servant into prison until he pays this sum back. It will take him forever, is the point. So what do we learn here? Well, of course, I want you to see this, that God's forgiveness is complete, but it is also conditional. He requires that we be forgiving people in return. Once you accept God's forgiveness for you, you relinquish the right to retaliate toward other sins against you. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. To be a genuine Christian means we will grow then in the grace of learning to forgive others no matter how deeply we've been offended. When we walk with Jesus, 
we, we can't help but become more and more like him. And so in Ephesians 4, we read, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. In Colossians 3, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgiving as the Lord forgave you. You see, those are connected. Forgiveness, then, is, is a part of who we become. It's a family affair. We ought to take on Christ's nature. Let's say you have two little children. You have a brother and a sister, and they're bickering with each other, and the father comes in, and he interrupts, and he chastises them and says that he's a little disappointed in, in, in their behavior. Well, the little girl with those big blue eyes comes to up to her father and humbly says, Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I disappointed you. Please forgive me. And she leaps into her father's arms and she hugs him by the neck. And while she's hugging him behind his back, she, she sticks out her tongue at her little brother. But the father sees what's happening in the mirror. Now, what's going to happen then? There's no way the father is going to be satisfied with that behavior. He, she really doesn't have a right relationship with the father until she is willing to get things settled with her brother. There's no way that we can have a right relationship with God our father if we're out of sync, we're out of step with, with holding resentments toward one another. So how can we be more forgiving? Well, I want to share with you four principles. There are more, but I want to give you these four, and I'll be very, very brief about them. First, folks, realize the seriousness of resentment. This demonstrates this clearly. When we harbor bitterness, resentment, we're only hurting ourselves. Someone said bitterness is the pill that we swallow thinking it'll hurt our enemy. Listen, if we call ourselves Christians, resentment always ends up torturing you. Look where this man ends up, in prison, in torture. Think of the amazing story of President Richard Nixon. Remember, he had an enemies list, and he was so obsessed with that list, it tortured him, and it ruined his presidency and his, his legacy. Listen, if, if you hate somebody, it creates this torture within you of irritability, of suspicion, a critical spirit. Truth is, you start losing the respect of people around you because they see the difference it's making in you. Deal with it quickly. Second, I think this parable reminds us to overlook minor offenses this man in comparison was only owed a small amount to what compared to what he had just been forgiven I came across the story of a man uh, David Berger was telling a story about a man who accidentally sat in the wrong seat on a train the coachman came by and he became extremely abusive to the man because he'd sat in the wrong seat he called him an imbecile, harassed him in front of everyone. 
Well, the guy got up and found the right seat, but the coachman wouldn't relent. He just kept badgering and making uh, just, just a silly, full of himself. Well, after all the incident was over, an observer came up to the man and said, why didn't you just punch that guy in the nose? Why didn't you go, at least go to his supervisor and tell him what had happened? And the man said, no, truth is, if he can live with himself for an entire lifetime, I ought to be able to put up with him for a few minutes. It's an interesting perspective. Sometimes we're just too sensitive, aren't we? Sensitive to the slightest hurt. I've seen families torn apart because the younger couple, you know, uh, son or daughter-in-law, they, they can't figure out, well, do we go here for Christmas or there? And it causes such a hubbub that there's hurt and resentment and bitterness. Parents, be careful about silly things. Don't put undue pressure on your kids. They're trying to figure it out. You just let them know you're there. I see people in church. Well, she hasn't talked to me for two weeks. Okay. When was the last time you went up to her? And we can build up this resentment over the most trivial of issues. I think we watch too many television shows where we think there's always a little bit of intrigue going on and people are insinuating something that they didn't really say at all. Save your anger for something that matters, something worthwhile. I think it's a lesson that many of us need to learn. Thirdly, confront the major offenses with kindness. I noticed that just prior to this parable, this is what Jesus says. He says, when someone sins against you, uh, he says, what are, what are you supposed to do? Throw a fit? Go tell as many people as possible? No. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault between the two of you. Now, I know there are some people in the church who use that like, like a hammer, by the way. I'm supposed to confront you. The Bible tells it. Listen, our approach matters. <laughs> I think 95% of the offenses could be worked out if we just approach each other with a little bit of compassion and kindness and willingness to, to consider what it would be like to be in the other person's shoes. You'll notice that Jesus intends for the whole process to be redemptive, not vindictive. There's a difference. But then finally, remember God's forgiveness of you. That's really what this parable is all about. Since God has completely forgiven you, your debt, how in the world can you possibly refuse to forgive others? You say you're angry at somebody because they lied. Well, let me ask you, have you ever lied? You say, I'm angry because they cheated me out of money or a position. Well, let me ask you, have you ever been deceptive? Or you're vengeful because you heard a comment that somebody made behind your back about you and you didn't think it was right. Well, let me ask you, have you ever made a comment about somebody behind their back? Probably. 
I was in fifth grade when President Ronald Reagan was shot by John Hinckley Jr. I remember uh, waiting uh, for my piano lesson in the teacher's basement. Frank Reynolds was on ABC News giving regular updates as the nation wondered if he would survive. Patty Davis, you'll remember, she was his sometimes estranged daughter. She had a troubled story in a lot of ways, but she interestingly told this story. She said, you know, the following day after the assassination attempt, my father said he knew his physical healing was directly dependent upon his ability to forgive his attacker, John Hinckley. She said, by showing me that forgiveness was the key to everything, including physical health and healing, he was giving me an example of Christ-like thinking. Forgiveness is healing. Forgiveness is freedom. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. Lewis Meads said, forgiving is going to a person either in your fantasies or in reality and saying, listen, I don't understand. I don't think I'll ever understand. It wasn't okay. It's not okay. But I forgive you. Forgiving doesn't make you a doormat. Forgiving isn't the same as tolerance. Forgiving doesn't make us fools. Forgiving is healing yourself. And if something that happened to you that if something happened to you that you cannot tolerate, but you forgive it as the only way to heal the wound that it left you with. You forgive somebody and you begin to dance instead of wallow. You begin to walk with God. You set a prisoner free and you discover the prisoner set free was you. Are there any prisoners here this morning? Jesus Christ died on the cross. We're free. If we believe and trust him, our debt is canceled. Ask yourself, do you know that reality? Have you asked him to forgive you your debts? But I'm speaking to many of us today, and maybe there's a situation right now the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, and you sense it. But you need to take the step. I need to forgive. Because that's the way, the path to freedom. Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you that your word is so true these thousands of years later and so applicable to our lives. Lord, I know that there are some deep wounds in this place. There are some who've experienced a great deal of pain. Lord, I pray that through your spirit, you would give them the capacity to forgive. It doesn't mean that they will forget It doesn't mean they gloss over and pretend that they weren't hurt. It doesn't even mean that the relationship is going to go right exactly back to being what it was before. But it does mean, Lord, that to the best of their ability, through the grace of your Spirit, that they will say, Lord, I'm giving up my 
my right to retaliate because I know in your presence I have been forgiven I'm free I'm alive thank you God for giving me the ability to forgive someone else Lord I pray your spirit will work in our hearts we will see bitterness and call it what it is it is an enemy to our souls and Lord, I just pray for a sweet spirit of reconciliation in our church, toward one another, toward family members, toward those in the past who have hurt us, that we would truly walk in freedom. And I ask this in the strong and beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. And amen. My friends, as Pastor Jason comes and leads us, you need to do some some work with the Lord maybe you need to lay something down or maybe you just say Lord I need some help today I need some help with your spirit to, to guide me and show me the way this altar is open for you to come let's stand as we close